Hey, beautiful people. Welcome to Wayfair. This is Aaron. This season, we're listening to several writers from our writer's workshop here at Central. From personal narratives to short stories and poetry, we've got a bit of everything. Each week, we'll hear from a writer, and we'll talk with them a little bit about their inspiration and their process. This week, we're talking with Jan Fisher. Jan has been at Central since 1988. She was a nurse for over 30 years, spending most of her time working with newborns and infants at Humana Hospital in Lexington, which is now St. Joe East. Jan often weaves spiritual insights through her stories where we find interesting twists and inventive perspectives. In this personal narrative, she explores her love for gardening and her penchant for taking in unwanted plants and nursing them back to health. Here's Jan. When I was a little girl, <laughs> I wrote stories, just odd little stories, and um, I can't even remember to t- remember really what they were always about. I loved horses. Um, you couldn't drive in a car with me that I wasn't pointing out every horse or pony or whatever that we saw, and I, those were the books I read. Anything, you know, Black Beauty, Misty of Shincoteague, and you know all those yeah. horse books. I had a series called. Timber Trail Riders that, you know, were about these kids that had horses and all their adventures riding on their horses. and So, I don't know, I probably tended to write more cowboy stories and things like that. Fury, I never missed an episode of Fury and, you know, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. I was a tomboy. <laughs> I had my own pony after, I guess I was in sixth grade and I won a pony in a raffle that was actually on my cousin's ticket. She bought the ticket and said, you know, Jay and I could live in town. If I win this pony, you'll have to keep it. So my parents never dreamed that she would win the pony. (laughs) Sure enough, at the school picnic at the end of the year, they drew her name and I got all excited, you know, and everybody looked at me like, why are you excited? That's your name's not Deidre Henry, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, but I knew that she won the pony and it was going to be mine. So <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Emma won a goldfish one time at a fall festival, and I was upset about the goldfish. Oh. I can't be angry about that. Whenever yeah. You got to take home a pony. Yeah. Well, wow. the pony came a little while later. Right. We had to get the yard fence. We lived out in the country, so yeah. on like a two acres. So we got the yard fenced, and after, about four weeks later, they delivered this. It was a colt. I mean, it was it was young. It wasn't a. It wasn't very old. I don't ask me. Maybe four months old, six months old, and that they put that pony in the fence, and it immediately jumped over that four foot fence and got out on the road. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so people were stopping to help us <laughs> catch our pony. <laughs> that's so, amazing yeah wow so so a love for a love for for animals and uh-huh. riding early on right so um so you started out with kind of cowboy stories and stuff like uh-huh. that um where did it go from there well probably after you know after i got to be a teenager i didn't really write much anymore yeah and uh, just because you get busy doing other things and, you know, other than anything I might have had to write for an English class or something. 
And then when I got a, into nursing, it was writing, you know, policy and procedure manuals and stuff like that. So nothing creative, nothing yeah. like that. And uh, I guess I, you know, it was just something I kept in the back of my mind that I always liked to do, but just didn't really have any opportunity. You get busy raising children and all that kind of stuff. So then really when you started this writing class is when I thought, you know, well, why not, you know? Yeah. Kind of dust off the cobwebs and see if you could still write anything. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So. I'm glad this is an opportunity for that because we've enjoyed your stories. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, really. You. Since you've been writing, um, um, have the stories done anything to you? It's been kind of cathartic for me because yeah. I've written things that have either been because it's something I've felt for a long time and wanted to express or maybe something happened and I have to write it down to either let go of it mm. or think it through, you know. And um, so I guess that's where my writings come from. It's not always been a, you know, a story. I mean, it's been in stories, but it's kind of had a more personal meaning, meaning for me. Mm. I mean, I don't always come to a, you know, profound conclusion uh, conclusion or, you know, an answer, find all the answers, but yeah. at least it, it helps. It's helped me. Yeah. It's a good way to, to think things through a mm -hmm. lot of times. Well, you want to tell us a little bit, uh, read the story that you brought, brought sure. for us today. So sure. <laughs> put my glasses on so I can read. Okay. My obsession started with half dead plants at a Walmart in Fort Myers, Florida. Dave and I were on vacation staying with friends in their condo. The day before we were to drive back to Kentucky, we stopped at the nearby Walmart to pick up some snacks for the road trip home. As I always tend to do, I found myself wandering through the garden center and soon wishing I could take one of the lush green palms home. Knowing none of them would survive a Kentucky winter, I finished up my wishful thinking and turned to re-enter the main store. As I turned, I accidentally tripped over a sad-looking plant that I figured was due to be tossed out with that night's trash. Looking more closely, I noticed that the plant looked about 50% alive, and to me that meant salvageable. I searched for the tag that identified the plant and the price and saw that there was neither. I picked up the pathetic two-foot-tall specimen and went searching for a clerk. Excuse me, I said to the sales girl, could you tell me what this plant is and if it's for sale, how much is it? After two sales clerks and one manager conferred, they decided it might be a bird of paradise and I could have it for $10. I thanked them, paid my $10, and proceeded to find Dave and explain that I just couldn't leave that poor plant there. I was sure I could save it with some good soil and plant food. Three months later, it was eight feet tall and very happy in its new Kentucky home. It spent the winter months in our attached garage and survived for several years. One summer, while visiting my sister in Pennsylvania, ghost dealers, I asked if we could go to the Ikea store near her house. After browsing the upstairs of the store, we went downstairs and I was surprised to see a selection of plants for sale. I was especially surprised to see that among the selection of plants were banana palms. By this time, my foray into tropical plants had become more than idle curiosity so I inquired as to their hardiness. The tag describes them as a hardy banana palm, the clerk answered, 
as if that was a sufficient answer to my questions. What the heck, I said to my sister. I bought the hardy banana palm, took it to Kentucky with me at the end of the week, and excitedly presented it to Dave. Is it going in the garage this winter, too? was all he said, but I knew he was thinking about how he was going to rearrange the cars to make room for another plant. I'm proud to say that one banana palm grew into two huge clumps that each stand over 20 feet tall. I have since learned that bananas are actually a grass and not a tree, and they send out shoots underground and sprout up around the mother plant. Two years ago, one plant had five flowers that produced baby bananas. Not able to grow to maturity because of the short growing season, the bananas weren't edible, but I nonetheless felt the excitement of a new parent over those baby bananas. Offsprings of that first banana palm have been dug up, potted, and taken to Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and several homes in Lexington and the Kentucky, central Kentucky area. I can't remember what year I became the owner of my first sago palm, but I know I was in a garden center in Calabash, North Carolina, when I spotted the poor thing. Dave and I were on vacation in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and took the short drive to Calabash for lunch. There's a restaurant there called Ella's, where Jimmy Durante supposedly coined his famous sign-off line, Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. We were headed to Ella's for the fried shrimp lunch special when I asked, can we stop at that garden center on the right-hand side of the road as you go into town? I promise I won't buy anything. I'd just like to look. Dave rolled his eyes and, without saying a word, slowed down, put on the turn signal, and pulled into the parking lot. Getting out of the car, I was immediately drawn to the blooming hibiscus, oleanders, and crepe myrtles. Already experienced with growing these, I was looking for a new challenge. Remember, Dave called after me, you're just looking. Don't buy anything. We don't have room in the car to take anything home. I won't, I promise, I said, mostly meaning it. Two days later, we were headed back to Kentucky with the Sago Palm on the back floorboard of the car. I had kept my promise that I wouldn't buy anything. This particular Sago Palm was such a poor specimen, the owner just laughed when I asked how much it was and was still laughing when I excitedly put my free plant in the car. Today, it spends the winter in the garage with two other Sago Palms. That once poor specimen is now big enough that it takes two people to lift it onto a handcart to get it into the garage. And yes, I know, Dave deserves to be a candidate for sainthood for always finding room in the garage for my plants. When Aaron approached our writing group about participating in his Lenten podcast, he offered us a list of themes with attached scripture readings. As I read through the list, I noticed the themes of grace and patience. I would never describe myself as having an overabundance of either of these qualities, and I was intrigued that the location associated with these themes was a garden. Being an amateur gardener does provide me ample opportunities to learn patience. Each of these themes and locations were accompanied by a corresponding scripture reading. The scripture lesson associated with the themes of grace and patience and the location of a garden was Luke 13, verses 1 to 9. In this scripture, Luke tells the parable of the withered fig tree. The vineyard owner is impatient that the fig tree hasn't borne fruit in three years. The take caretaker asks for one more year to care for the tree before the owner chops it down. The caretaker has more experience than the owner and knows what is best for the tree. As my story points out, I too am an advocate for giving discarded plants another chance. But as we know, this parable is, more, is about more than fig trees. To me, the fig tree is a metaphor for faith and our need to constantly cultivate it. 
The vineyard owner lost his patience and was sure that the fig tree would never bear fruit, so his inclination was to chop it down. O oh, ye of little faith! On the other hand, the caretaker wanted to continue to nurture the fig tree for another year before believing there was no hope in its ability to bear fruit. We could look also at this scripture a different way. If we make Jesus the caretaker and ourselves the vineyard owner, the parable was more reflective of the lesson in Matthew and Mark. As vineyard owners, we have asked for a fig tree that bears fruit, but without the faith to rely on the caretaker, Jesus, we are ready to give up and chop down the tree before it's even reached maturity. According to these scriptures, Jesus, our caretaker's only requirement for us to have a life of abundance or a fig-bearing tree is to come to him in prayer, knowing that through faith what we desire will be ours. We, we all want a life of abundance, but are we willing or able to have faith without doubt? Are we willing to work to cultivate our faith? Are we like the caretaker who wants to nurture the tree by giving it the constant care it deserves? Or are we like the vineyard owner who has doubts about the tree's ability to bear fruit and chooses to chop it down and lose out on the chance of having a fruitful harvest? Mm. Thanks so much for reading that, Jan. You're welcome. I appreciate that. It is a that's a a great theme for Lent. When did you get into gardening? Growing up, our family always had a big garden. My dad's family grew uh, apples. They had apple orchards, and we had a huge garden. I mean, every, all kinds of vegetables and strawberries and melons and all sorts of things. So I grew up as a child. Not so much planting the garden, garden, but picking the garden, <laughs> you know, bushels and bushels of green beans and peas. And we'd not only pick them, then you'd go home and, you know, my sisters and my mom and my grandmother, we'd all sit with a bushel of green beans in front of us to clean. Yeah. And then it'd be the peas and then it'd be the lima beans. And But I'll tell you, every winter, all winter long, my mom would freeze all those things and all winter we ate out of the freezer all those frozen vegetables, and it was wonderful. Oh, you yeah. Know? And then my grandfather um, lived in town, so he had a much smaller garden, but he was known more for his flowers. He, I mean, beautiful gladiolias, you know, it was just fantastic to see pictures of his flower beds. And so, you know, I grew up with all that around me, so. Yeah. Yeah. So you get it honest. I get it honestly. <laughs> I wish I had my grandfather's green thumb. I mean, it just I try, but <laughs> you've obviously got something to be able to rescue these plants and bring um, them back to life. I know. You know? I just <laughs> <laughs> that may be because I'm a nurse. You know, I don't know. I've got that background too. So <laughs> <There's> <laughs> always a... trying to save everything. <laughs> <laughs> What I love about the story is that um, there are snippets of, of, of real life, you know, and that as we, um, that, and that then in the midst of our real and ordinary life, we can we can look back and we can find some meaning. We can see um, some patterns that emerge, and we can find some themes even in the the story of our of our own life. I think I mentioned I was a nurse for 30 years, 30 plus years, 
and the bulk of that time was taking care of newborns, either in the well baby nursery or the NICU, the sick babies, you know. And certainly I wasn't a healer of those babies, but in, you know, I helped them along anyway and and, uh, cared for them and and their parents. It's a, you care for the whole family in, you know, those instances. And uh, I was fortunate enough um, when I worked at Humana Hospital on Richmond Road, which is now St. Joseph East, that hospital was just in its infancy. And the first staff that they hired got to, um, actually, you know, put the beds in the rooms and do all the, you know, actually open the hospital. And that was where the, you know, I wrote a lot of policies and procedures with other people for the department and everything. And then once the hospital opened, we needed a a booklet to help the parents give them some information when they went home that either that their pediatrician would recommend. You know, right. each of the pediatric uh, offices had their own little booklets, but we wanted something that the hospital, you know, wanted to send home with them too. You know, I wrote up the infant care manual for parents to take home that, you know, it got approval of all the pediatricians. It was just a generalized infant care manual. So that, oh, that's uh, great. That was part of the writing. I guess I did earlier, earlier, yeah. most of my writing, anything I did early was, was more, um, you know, technical based and things like right. that. It certainly wasn't creative. <laughs> After I got out of nursing, I did spend three years at Springhouse Gardens and um, learned a lot there about plants and and things like that. And I think it was sort of a natural, well, not natural, but it kind of went to, you know, another kind of nursery. Here I am, you know, yeah. I worked in a nursery with babies for 30 years and then I went to a nursery to work with plants. So, and it also helped feed my obsession for <laughs> taking care of things that, you know, there'd be plants that maybe look like they, we couldn't sell them anymore to the public. So I've had my choice of what I wanted to take home yeah. and try to rescue again. So oh, wow. well, it fed great. my obsession. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, so I think in light of that, it makes your, make it brings your story to life even more, mm-hmm. you know, that, this wasn't uh, something that just started with a um, with a palm tree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this had been going on for quite a while. Right. You know, right. and uh, it's a it's a theme for your life that seems to continue. Mm-hmm. What was it that drew you to uh, to nursing and especially working uh, with with newborns? Well, to tell you the truth, I I wasn't one of these little girls that always wanted to be a nurse. You know, I have friends in nursing that that's all they dreamed about was getting into nursing but at my age the where I I mean at the the way the thinking was when I grew up women either or girls either went into nursing they were secretaries or they were teachers Hmm. and my family went through some well my dad got hit with a car so we had a lot of medical bills and you know there was a lot of um, things going on that I just felt like I didn't want my parents to try to pay for four years of college. Not that that, you know, they certainly would have, they'd have found the money somewhere, but my oldest sister had gone into nursing, so I thought, I'll do that. You know, it really wasn't something, it wasn't a lifelong dream to be a nurse. But when I got into it, I mean, I I was also raised that if you're going to do something, you're going to 
do it the best you know how to do. Mm. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I, you know, that's what I did. That's why I became a nurse. I guess. Yeah. Just, well, what kept you? What kept you in it? I liked it. Yeah. I really, I liked either taking care of old people or the babies. You know, yeah. I, I just seemed to be drawn to older folks or little babies. And the opportunity came to uh, work in the nursery. And once you, you know, you get in there and it's a smaller group of people, you know, that you work with. And it's still a very hectic pace because when it's fun, it's fun. But when it's sad, it's really sad. Mm. You know, there can... I've had people say, oh, you just get to sit and rock babies all day long, but it's a lot more than that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, I really liked it. I felt like I could make a difference in, you know, not just the baby's lives sometimes, but in the whole family, whether it's the parents or the siblings or even grandparents. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. How did you deal with the stress of, of that, you know? I learned one time... Um, we one of a nurse from the nursery always went to every delivery, whether it was a normal delivery or a C-section or whatever. And I remember this one outcome was very sad, and we all cried. And I mean, I can get emotional about that today. But the mother afterwards said that meant so much to her to see that we were upset. Now, when I went through nurses training, you were taught you don't show emotion, you don't you don't get close to the families you know you're just there to care for the patient and all that but I learned early I learned as I was working in the profession that to show emotion is not a bad thing you know so that just that comments that she made and how much she appreciated knowing that we were upset too that stayed with me yeah Mm -hmm. yeah to show a little bit of vulnerability at that time with somebody right to make a huge difference yeah. to know that they're not alone in, yeah. in their grief over yeah. that. So, mm. Right. Yeah. And even if you don't say anything, sometimes just sitting in the room with someone, mm. you know, it means a lot. And there were times when for one reason or another, <clears throat> a mother couldn't be with the baby when it was going to expire. But we had the privilege of holding that baby through that time you know I mean that's an honor I love that job (laughs) yeah yeah it's amazing the road that life goes down you don't expect sometimes it is yeah I know my high school guidance counselor you know you take all those tests they're supposed to help you figure out what your career is supposed to be and I mean, it's it's so vivid. I can remember him telling me he, he didn't know what to tell me because it was like I was sitting on a fence and I didn't know what side to get off on. So I really had no direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do, Yeah. you know, but I chose a career. And like I say, I was expected to succeed. And luckily it was, you know, I, I love really in, found that I loved it. Thank you, Jan, for your time, and thanks Thank for you. writing this. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to this episode of Wayfair. And thanks to Jan Fisher for sharing her writing with us. 
Wayfair is a production of Central Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, a loving and progressive gathering of Christians. You can find out more about us at LexCentral.com. I'm Aaron Austin, and see you next week for another step along the journey. Okay, cool. <laughs>